Well, hello, everyone. Happy to be here. My name is Chad Cruiser, and my wife is Fadi Cruiser. We're going to be sharing together. I will begin this message, and Fadi will conclude it. And it's going to be a mixture of the scriptures and a personal experience from my wife. But before we begin, I uh, hope you're all doing well. I want to say a prayer together. And before we pray, uh, I just want to, well, we'll pray and then and we'll go from there. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study science and scripture, to talk about personal experience of your power in our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with, be with each one of us. Thank you so much for the powerful testimony that was just shared of transforming heart and teaching true love, Lord. And we need that love. And that's what everyone is seeking for. We seek Lord in all wrong places often, but we thank you that, that at the end you are still there, not looking to shame us and hold us down, but lift us up and free us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do just that now as we study together in Jesus' name. Amen. This message has to do with learned helplessness or more than conquerors. Now, I just want to let you know a little bit about myself. My wife and I have a ministry called Anchor Point Films. We go around to archaeologists, historians, scholars. We make documentaries on the Bible, history, prophecy, but also science and health. And a YouTube channel where you can see many of the uh, videos that we continue to do called Health and Homestead. If you just look that up on, on YouTube, you'll find our channel there. And but let's begin with learned helplessness. Now, if you've taken a kind of foundational psych psychology 101 course or foundation level psychology in college or even high school for that matter. You may remember a study that was done back in the 1960s and 70s by Martin Seligman that had to do with learned helplessness. And what they did was this. They, they took dogs and I think it was beagles, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. But and they, they put them in a harness. And they divided them into three groups. One group, they simply put them in a harness and didn't do anything else to them. A second group, they put them in a harness and they would shock them. But the dogs had the ability to turn off the shock by taking their little snout and pushing it on a button, and that stopped the shocking, this painful shock. And the third group, they would shock them, but they would have no way to stop it. And you can understand they would never be able to do this today because of it just, it's unethical. So they wouldn't have let this happen. But what happened is then, after doing this to these dogs for some time, what they did is they set up another experiment where they put the dogs individually into a cage that had two sides separated by a very small fence, small that they easily just go right over the fence at any time they wanted to. And the side that they put them on, at some point they would turn on an electric shock, the floor would begin to shock them. And the dogs who had not, not had a shock previously, they were just harnessed down, when they were shot, they would jump over the fence and the other side would not shock them and they were set free. 
the second group, the group that had been shocked but was able to turn off the effects of the electric shock, they too would just jump over to the other side. But the third group, on the other hand, who had been shocked but saw no way out of the situation, when the floor became elect electrified, these dogs simply gave up. They didn't try to jump over. They simply lie down right where they are and they just accepted this is just the way it's going to be. And this became known as learned helplessness. And the whole thought of learned helplessness is something that it sounds sad just thinking about it in, in dogs, but we then begin to maybe recognize that this same thing is probably at some point happen in every single human being's life. They think, what can I do? This is who I am. This is the way I was born. This is my genetics. This is my heredity or whatever it is. Somehow I have, this is who I am. And we've learned helplessness. And I was thinking of this and I think really there are two seeds that have been planted in our souls from birth. And the first one is that we we're prone to slavery because of sin, because of the history of earth. We are prone to slavery, to be enslaved to our cultivated or our inherent tendencies. But there's something else, a second seed inside of our very being that yearns for freedom, meaning none of us are really content as slaves to habits or destructive vices, whatever it is. And thinking of these two things, that we're either basically slaves or we free women and men, I want to look at a little bit of research. The University of Michigan found that people who believe that they are in control of their lives or what they call autonomy had the highest levels of happiness. It turns out that this probably number one, at least at the time of this study, it was probably it was believed that believing that you have the ability to affect the outcome of your life is the number one greatest predictor of happiness in life. You see, and so if you feel like you're trapped because of your body, trapped because of your mind, that there's no way out of different issues in your life, this is a great predictor of unhappiness. Yet the converse is that if you believe that you are free, you are more prone to be a happy person, maybe the greatest predictor. And this is a very powerful quote from something called the Youth Instructor, page uh, February 2, 1893, we were told this, we were told, oh, that everyone might realize that he is the arbiter of his own destiny. You get to decide your own destiny. Your happiness, it says the same thing as the research, but it was written over 100 years ago. Your happiness for this life and for the future immortal life lies with yourself. So, you are the arbiter. You get to decide. But if maybe things have happened in your lives, maybe something has happened in your life personally where you were held down, you were shocked, maybe not physically, but maybe something happened to you. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was abuse. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just circumstances or repetitive behaviors or processes that whatever it was, these things kept you down and you got to the point where you're like, skip it. Why even try? This is who I am. There's nothing I can do. I cannot affect, I cannot be a part of being some new person. Now, in actuality, there's a lot of truth to that and coming to that conclusion is beneficial. But you can't do it. 
But we're going to find in a moment that you can be changed, that to some degree it's true. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, he had an issue in his life he couldn't overcome. He prayed three times. And, and, and when we hear he prayed three times, I think we think like, you know, oh, Lord, help me change. But I, I'm sure that Paul, being the fervent, zealous individual that he was, must have been a man who prayed with all of his heart. I, I can imagine him probably waking waiting for this, maybe praying for hours or praying well into the night. I mean, these are serious prayers because you remember there were three times that I prayed this. I prayed, Father, take this from me. This thorn in my flesh, take it away from me. I, I can't, I can't change. And God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So God said, Listen, you are weak. You can't overcome, but I can help you to. I can let you be so that you can be the arbiter of your own destiny, that your happiness for this life and for the life to come, the future immortal life, it lies with yourself. The Bible is in Deuteronomy 6.24. This is one of my favorite verses. It said, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. That's another term for laws. So the Lord commanded us to do all these laws, all these commandments, to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. So Bible tells us that every commandment that God has for you and for me was for our good. So if he commands you to do something or not to do something, that commandment is for your benefit. Well, learned helplessness is something that probably most people at some point in their lives have experienced. Now, some people just seem to be people who can do all kinds of things, but they still have some area of their life that they have probably learned helplessness too. You just may not know what they are. But we see that you can learn to be helpless, but could you learn to overcome that? Well, some research on this. Research on how to return to autonomy. E All right, we got to figure this out. Trying to share his presentation. Yes. Let me try to, I see you're not seeing my presentation. Sorry about that. Let me see if I can figure that out. Uh, let's see. Stop sharing. Share. Share screen. Share. And can you look at that and see if he writes? Um, so I'm going to ask you now if uh, Harrison, if you could write me again and let me know if my screen is working now. All right, I'll continue. And if you can't see my screen, uh, we'll accept that. But hopefully you can see my screen. Sorry about that. I thought maybe you could see me. All right. Yes, you can see it now. Good. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Okay, so here's some research on how to return to autonomy. A researcher from Yale conducted a study on depressed elderly people who were living in a nursing home. You can imagine feeling depressed there. You don't really control your life very much. Things just seem to happen in a, in a nursing home, a convalescent home old folks home, whatever you want to put. They asked them to make choices on what food they ate. If they wanted to change the channel on the television to have the furniture rearranged or if they wanted to change the air conditioning, they also had them request to change policies in the nursing home. And then they granted them the request that they made. So these people were making small, simple, excessive changes. And what was the result of the study? 
93% of those who are given choices to make, uh, in ch- to make choices rather, that would change them, they became happier people and more active in their lives. So what they saw is that helping people learn that they could make decisions, that they could make changes in life, even if tiny simple decisions could help them be happier people and become more active. And that's one of the things that's important that if we realize, okay, yeah, there are issues in our lives, yeah, there are difficulties in our lives, but at the same time, we can make small, simple decisions in various areas of our lives, and we are the arbiters of our own destiny. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, we do know that our issues in our lives there, we have things that we cannot change. We don't, we don't have the power to change everything in our lives. I'm totally with you on that, right? There's certain things that I cannot change. I don't have the power or the authority. But Jesus said that all power is given unto me. Not bad, but to him. Jesus, all power has been given unto him in heaven and earth. That doesn't say the majority of quite a bit of it or a section of the power. All power has been given to him. And then we'll tell us in Philippians 14, 13, probably many of you know this verse, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what this means is, okay, I get it. Paul was told by God, listen, you're, you're weak. There are certain things you can't overcome, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, God can do the impossible in our lives if I trust that Jesus Christ, who has all power, can do this in my life. Now, listen to this quotation. This is incredible. From the book Education, page 17. Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the creator, individuality, power to think and to do. The men and women whom this power is developed are the men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprise, and who influence character. It is the work of true education to develop this power, to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Instead of confining their study to that which men have said or written, let students be directed to the sources of truth, to the vast fields opened for research in nature and revelation. Let them contemplate the facts of duty and destiny, and the mind will expand and strengthen. Instead of educated weaklings, institutions of learning send forth men strong to think and to act. Men who are masters and not slaves of circumstances, men who possess breath, clearness of thought, and the courage of their convictions. You may know something is true. You may know that it is right. You may be convicted that something is a good and noble thing, but God has created you, and he will give you the power to do what is right. If you believe it, no matter what it is, even if even if everybody around you, every person, every human being, every psychologist, even if every preacher told you it was impossible, Jesus tells you with men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. 
And what we can do often as ministers or, or speakers or psychologists, I'm not a pastor, a psychologist or any of those things, but we can come up with reasons why certain things are impossible and can never be changed. But God says, I have all power. With men, it is impossible, but not with God. Listen to this. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, this is like mind blowing, like this is unreal. If we consent, he will so identify with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds to, to conform to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Now, that doesn't mean that every impulse that you have is of God, but we're saying you can become so connected to Jesus. You can be so united to the Savior that your character becomes so much like him. When you are acting out your own impulses, you're actually doing the will of God. I mean, he could change you that much. It goes on to say right around the middle there, will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. This is almost too good to believe, but then it goes even further. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become, what? Hateful to us. There's times where we say, well, you know, God could change certain things. I mean, he could change a crack addict to not do crack, right? Okay. Yeah, we get that. And he could get a heroin addict and maybe the most addictive drug of all, methamphetamine. Yes, he could even get a meth head to stop doing meth. But there's things in my life that the God does not have the power to transform, right? Well, we're told through appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. And I got to be honest with you, that's impossible on your own by simply, oh, I'm just going to hate sin. No, we love sin. We're human beings. That's normal. Uh, Paul said in 717, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will, meaning to have the desire, for to will is present with me, but perform that which is good, I find not. So Paul said, listen, in my flesh, there's no good thing. I, yes, I have the desire to do right, but I don't find in my soul the ability, the capability of doing what is right. But we read here through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. So as we behold Jesus, how did Jesus respond to sinners? So a, a woman caught in adultery, totally ashamed. How did he treat her? He treated her with love and compassion. And when we begin to see that love and compassion, this woman didn't have to live in shame for the rest of her life. She could live her, she could hold her head high with the peace of knowing that Jesus had forgiven her, regardless of what they'd done, regardless of what she had thought and this is something she had just done we're going to come back to that in another message but so we can either be helpless slaves to sin to satan or even our own self or we could be servants of christ who alone can set us free 
You see, Jesus can literally set us free. Now, I want to share a story of a friend of mine. Some of you probably know Matt Parra. Um, Matt Parra, a friend of mine, he lives in Australia. Now, he's actually, he's not Australian. He is from the States, but he's lived in, lived in Australia for a number of years. And Matt was, back in the day, he tells the story personally, so I'm not revealing anything he hasn't shared, but... He was in the he was in the Navy and he was, you know, traveling around the world and doing what a lot of guys in the Navy do. Not everyone, by the way. So don't get offended if you're in the Navy and you didn't do this. But it's kind of common for these guys. They go around the world. They they are in a ship and they're they're alone with, you know, thousands of guys for a long time. They get to a port and there are just women just waiting for them and who will give themselves to them for, you know, some of money. And so he would go around and he would be sleeping with prostitutes. He Later on, he uh, came back to the United States. He became a, a drug dealer. He was traveling around, you know, selling drugs and these kind of things and just lived a life of, of sin. And, and uh, just that was life. That was life. And he had actually come from a Christian background. He knew the message of Jesus. He knew the truth about the word of God. He knew that the life he was living was not right, yet he was doing it anyway. And it wasn't giving peace to his soul. He knew that. And he was driving down the road one day and he happened to see that over in the distance, there was this, there was this, I think it was a tent meeting going on. And he saw this tent and it was a Christian gathering. And somehow, some way, he was literally driving somewhere to steal some drugs, to deliver some drugs, get $5,000 cash in his pocket from, you know, dealing. And he's, he sees this Bible meeting somehow, some way, the spirit out of his heart. He drove over and he parked his car and he went to this meeting. And as he was listening, this minister, which was actually a young man who he later became close friends with this day, he hears this young man preaching about how his life was changed by Jesus. And he hears it. And Matt began to feel so guilty, so shameful for all these things he had done for the life of drugs and sleeping with prostitutes and, and just living a life of general sin. And shame began to come over him. He felt so guilty, he felt so shameful. And the, there was an appeal being made. And the appeal was basically, will you give your life to Jesus? He can set you free from your sin. He can forgive no matter what you have done. Jesus died on the cross and he died on that cross, the shame that he experienced, not for his own sin. Meaning he became sh shameful. He became sin. He became guilt to take away your shame and your guilt. Meaning literally on the cross, Jesus took all the filth that you've done and placed it on, or the Father placed it on Jesus. And so there he was on the cross receiving all our sin. And, and the minister was calling forth and saying, will you give your life to Jesus? Will you let go of your sin? And Matt was sitting there and he was struggling with making a decision. They were saying, why don't you stand up? Give your life to Jesus right now. Don't, don't wait. Don't wait another day. Don't say, oh, I'll do it later. Make the decision today to give your life to Jesus. And as he's hearing this, this was a struggle for him because he felt so dirty, he felt so shameful. He thought, how could I ever be forgiven? But then, the thought came to him. He thought, what if, what if I, if I would stand and give my life to Jesus, what if I could feel 
pure for just one minute? What if I could feel pure for just one minute? And he thought, it would all be worth it. It would all be worth it if I could feel pure for just one minute. Even if I could never feel it again, what would it feel like to be pure for a minute? And with that thought, he stood up. And Jesus changed his heart right there. And his life has been different ever since. He's a minister to the day. I'll tell you, he's one of my favorite speakers in the world. He, his friends just touch my soul. And you know what? He didn't just feel pure for a minute. Jesus has been changing his life ever since. And friends, that's what Jesus does. Through communion with Christ, appreciation of his character, he can get us to the point where the sin that we once loved becomes hateful to us. And this isn't just pointing out any one kind of person. This is for all of us. This is for all humanity. My wife is going to, she's going to share her uh, personal testimony of some things that happened in her life and how God changed her. Hello to all. Um, Harrison, can you hear me all right? Or are we coming in and out? Because we're in an area that uh, is having. Okay, yes, you can. All right, sounds good. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, if it's all right, I'm just going to pray one more time as I'm sharing now. That's all right. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for all the blessings you give us, Lord, and how, uh, as Chad just shared, that you want to have us uh, not just forgiven, but to be pure and to feel pure, Lord. And, and so, Father, we just pray for your presence right now, that you would guide our words, and it would be through your spirit that you touch heart, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I grew up in Chicago, but prior to Chicago, I lived in two other uh, countries. I mean, prior to the U.S., I lived in two other countries, and um, I was born in Baghdad, Iraq, and didn't live there for very long. Uh, ended up going to, you know, coming to the U.S., but prior to coming to the U.S., we waited two years in Athens, Greece to um, finish our paperwork, you know, completing our paperwork to come to the U.S. And then we were sponsored by my uncle to come to the U.S. And um, there we were right into the big city of Chicago. But what happened is um, in our time in Athens, Greece, we had some family and friends that were over all the time. And my parents always had the open door policy, you know, uh, people come and go freely and all of that. And which is, which is a, a blessing. Um, but, and then one of my dad's cousins who was young, he, he worked the night shift and he lived kitty corner from our apartment. And um, they would allow him when he'd come home from work, when we're all sleeping, he could come into our kitchen and eat whatever he wanted and then go back. 
but he abused that privilege and started to come into my uh, bedroom. And I was only three years old at the time. And so um, he, he came in one time and of course I was always sleeping when he would do this. And uh, one time it woke my mom up. And so she came to see what was going on and uh, she comes into my room and, and I was three, I was already um, out of diapers, but not for sleeping. You know, a lot of times kids could wet the bed and stuff. And so uh, when I was sleeping, she, my mom would put me in diapers. When she came in, she could, she noticed my diapers had, had uh, something had happened. Somebody had you know done something to it. And so uh, she looked around and he was hiding and then she found him. And so, uh, when she found him, it just turned into this big thing. And, and, uh, you know, the family, everybody got involved and it just, it became this big to do. And so I just remember that was just very distinct in my mind. And you'd think at three years old, you'd forget these things. But part of the problem is, is that, uh, after that, my dad would, uh, when he would mention this particular person, there was always like a curse word attached to his name. And so as a kid, you know, it, right, uh, the incident, the, 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 you know, event is being kept fresh in your mind. And so, um, and then I just have all these flashbacks and things like that. And then later on, um, I had other views happen to me again, and um, there was a pattern developing. And so when these things happen, you have a tendency to think there's something wrong with me because I seem to attract this. And so then you start to think it's you. You're the problem because why would this keep happening over and over if it's not you? And um, but I think what we forget is that there's an enemy out there that um, sees that tries to have these things happen and then causes this this. Um, repetition so that you start to associate this behavior with your character, with your identity, right? And you think this is just who I am. This is what happens to me. And so he, he, it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's that he knows the pattern that will get you stuck in this rut of identifying yourself in, in these ways. And uh, like Daisy said earlier, you know, you start to associate, um, love and lust together. And that's not what God intended. You know, um, when things are done to children, it really ends up coming to a place where you don't have a healthy way of looking at it or dealing with it because it's way out of the time frame that you should be involved in these things. And you're not mentally developed yet to, to do all that. And so it immediately either becomes addictive or, um, just really wrong in your mind and you start to have associations that are not correct. And that's just what happened to me. And then um, I would have these flashbacks all the time of these different things that happened to me. And, and it had gotten so bad that um, when I'd have the flashbacks, I, I would try to get them out of my head because it's just so overwhelming. And, um, I try to get them out of my head. And so then I would have this twitch. I'd, I'd twitch my head and, and try to like, you know, physically get it out of my head. And I'd had this twitch all the time. And, 
and um, I didn't like people touching me too much, you know, getting close. And I started to develop this in my character where, you know, I love people. If anybody knows me, I, I you know, I'm a people person and I enjoy being around people. But um, this kind of just put a damper on that. And so I would only let you get so close because I figure if you get any closer, you're going to hurt me. Right. I figure you're going to you're going to get to that point and I just don't want that. And so I just kind of closed up and didn't want people to get close and um, hurt me. You know, it's it's just something that happens. And you think about it. It's like love. Um, if, if you look at Jesus, he loved to the point where everybody hurt him. There's not one person here on earth that didn't hurt him. And yet he loved anyway. It, it was a risk of love. And um, so you just see that it, it wasn't a healthy thing for me to be in that frame of mind that I can't love you because I'm scared you're going to hurt me. But you see, Jesus has, he loves anyway, right? And it's so beautiful, you know, like to always have Jesus to look at, not as a, oh, I put myself down, but just like, I could be like that too. Yes, I'm like this. I think like this. I have this flaw in my character where I don't want people to hurt me, but he did and yet he loved and we're all here today because of him because he loved till it hurt. So um, I just praise the Lord. We have his example and his tenderness to, to comfort and heal us from all these things. So, yeah. And then I just thought, you know, uh, this is just going to be my life. You know, this is just the, the, the way I'm going to be. And I'm never going to be with anybody because if I let anybody get close enough, I just ended up getting hurt. And then I didn't have a healthy outlook on, on relationships. If, if like somebody showed affection towards me, I would just shut down. I, and I was like that little kid again. Like I'm talking even as an adult, if somebody's showing affection, I just completely shut down and get scared. I was scared of relationships. Um, and it, it was just irrational, completely irrational because it's, it's like I never developed in that area because I just squashed it, you know, and as you grow up, you're developing relationships, you're learning how to talk with people, you're learning how to love and care and all this. But I just suppressed it so much so that when, you know, somebody was showing affection in some way, um, as innocent as at a very innocent level, I just, you know, shut down and, and wasn't able to deal with it in a rational way. And I hated that as well. You know, it was just like, I wasn't happy like that because God made us to be social beings, right? In relationships and, and showing love and compassion to people. And so I was not happy uh, with my little way of coping. It, it didn't make me happy. You know, the flashbacks, all of this, I was just becoming um, discouraged. And eventually my older brother uh, passed away. He, he was killed by a drunk driver. And it was through that that I really started to realize as you get older, life's problems get worse and worse. And if you're not dealing with the past, the past becomes even a bigger burden. 
And so all these things from my past became so overwhelming for me when my brother died that it's, it's kind of like um, you can hold a beach ball down under the water because it's so lightweight and you can hold it down under the water for a while. But eventually if it waves come in and all this starts happening, sooner or later, even that little lightweight beach ball will just explode out of the water because you just can't handle it anymore. Other things come at you and, and blow you over and, and you can't even deal with the littlest of problems. And I was finding myself in that situation. And uh, so I was just crying out to the Lord, Lord, help me. I, I need a change. I need to deal with these things because I'm not happy. And nor am I being a blessing to anybody, right? Because I'm so worried about self and, and worried about my problems and constantly going over my own issues that how, and I wanted to help other people, but when you're stuck in that, it's hard to help other people when you're always worried about yourself. So um, God is so good, and he hears our prayers and our cries out to him. And um, little by little, as I started to seek the Lord with all my heart, because after my brother died, I really started to think about life and what it meant. And I wanted uh, a total change in that. And so then I kept praying for God to change my heart, change my life. And uh, long story short, I started to think, if I were to die tomorrow, whose life have I made a difference in? Who, who can say I know Jesus because of Fadia's influence? And I couldn't think of one person. And so then after that, my prayer was, Lord, change me so that I could be a blessing to somebody. And I started to... I was brought up in the Adventist church, but I, I didn't, um, I didn't live up to any, anything really. And, uh, just was living a double life. And, um, because of that double life, I was not happy. I was, I was depressed, but, um, eventually I, I was like, Lord, please change my life. And so then I started to study the Bible. I started to really connect with Jesus. And, uh, in that pain of losing my brother, I turned to Jesus and opened my heart and would cry to him and um, turning to him over and over. And if a flashback came into my mind, I just continued to turn to him into his word. And so now I started to fill my mind up with, with God and his word and with Jesus and his life and all of that so that I didn't have room in my mind for other things. You know, like if a flashback came through, I wouldn't go down that path of, remembering this and that and that, and then all the negative emotions that came with it. I was just like, I'm going to turn to Jesus. I'm going to think about him. And I just kept turning to him and crying to him and asking him for help. And eventually my mind would just turn to God so that as the, the devil would come in with his temptations, I, I wasn't easily provoked to go down that route anymore and fill my mind with, um, selfish thoughts and pain from the past and all that. And then eventually um, less and less did these thoughts come in and less and less was I twitching. Like I don't twitch today. I don't, you know, do that whole thing. It kind of hurts to do that. And uh, I just praise the Lord. He just took that away. And I, I thought, you know, who's going to want me, you know, uh, cause you just feel dirty and, and, and like you lost your innocence. And it's like, nobody's going to want me and my history and my, my whole, you know, background. And, but God is good. Um, 
He gave me a husband that loves me. And also prior to this being a, a political statement or whatever, but he used to call me snowflake. And what he meant by that is not what it means today. Um, he meant that I was pure and clean like the snow. And to me, those were words of um, affirmation from the Lord and uh, that somebody could see me that way. You know, like that's just healing words to me because like, those were my negative, repetitive, bad thoughts of, of myself that no one's going to want me, no one's going to this, that, and the other. And just you make up these things and they're lies from the enemy because he wants you to identify with your sin. He wants you to identify with your pain. He wants you to identify with somebody's sin against you. That's what he wants. He wants us to either play the victim or the perpetrator, whatever. He wants us to identify in these ways because it keeps us trapped. And Jesus, no, I've set you free and I want you to identify with me. Right. And so the more and more I identified with Jesus and his love, the less and less I saw myself as that person. And so now when I tell you these things, you don't see me get all emotional and crying because Jesus has given me freedom from that emotional baggage. And I call it emotional amnesia. Right. I still know the stories and I share it with people, but I don't run them over my mind over and over. And two, um, I don't identify with them. And the emotions that come with it have gone away. I can tell you this without having um, all the pain in my heart. And so God is so good. Uh, he doesn't He doesn't allow us to uh, stay where the where the enemy would want us to stay. He wants us to grow and go beyond that. But we have to spend that time with Jesus, looking at His life, identifying with Him. I can tell you story after story of how, as I looked at His life and his rejection and his pain and what humanity has done to him, I can totally identify with that and see that he was more than conqueror and he's given us the ability to do the same. We can be arbiters of our own future, right? We, we don't have to allow the past to conquer us. We can, through Jesus Christ, hold on to him and see the future before us, just like he did on the cross, right? He, he had joy in his heart in the midst of his pain, knowing that you and I would someday be with him for eternity. And that's what brings emotion to my heart, is talking about him and seeing him and being with him for eternity. And I just pray Jesus for that. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, brothers and sisters. I just want to commend to you the word of God and Jesus Christ who gave his life for us that we spend time thinking on these things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for um, your gift of freedom from pain and suffering and, and any evil that's been done to us and also evil that we've done to others, Lord, that you want to set us free and we praise your name that you've given us that ability. And I just pray, Father, that you continue to be with us throughout this conference and heal our hearts and may we turn to you and be lights throughout this world, we pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. 
www.audioverse.org.